Well, good morning, everyone. It's really hot, isn't it? Really, really hot. It's one person likes it. It's been great. I've been able to um, kind of top up my tan over these kind of last weeks. That's not easy for a Scots person. I, I, we, we have to turn from blue first, then to that kind of peely wally white colour. You know, you look over here, there's a Scotsman there. <laughs> colour hasn't changed yet. And then we eventually get to this kind of like reddishy brown colour and then it peels off and we start again. So uh, I, here we are. Um, on Wednesday of last week, um, I was driving back, well, Jonathan was, um, from our, our family holiday in Switzerland. Jonathan was doing all the driving and I was just staring out the window as you do. It's quite a long drive and just watching the scenery change and thinking of nothing in particular. And suddenly I felt the presence of the Holy Spirit upon me. And it was so, my heart started to race. It was such a, a tangible experience. It was so, so intimate. And I just knew it was one of those sit up and listen moments. I felt that God was giving us a message for all nations. He was saying, listen, pay attention. This wasn't for me, it was for all of us. Listen, pay attention. Look at what I'm directing you through preaching to listen to. Understand what I'm saying to you through the prophecy that's shared. Recognize what has been deposited in you. Felt, it almost felt like a plea to pay attention to what was right there in front of us. Have you ever looked at one of those pictures with the hidden dots? And I think one's going to appear here on screen. Ah, there it is. It, you have to really concentrate, don't you? You have to really focus and fix your eyes to, for, before you can see that number of here. And those of the, you that can't, it says number 74. Um, but once you, once you see it, it becomes obvious, doesn't it? In fact, you can't unsee it. And we know that God speaks to us. We know that the Holy Spirit is active in our lives. We know that our people bring prophecy, they dream dreams, they see visions. And we know that the Bible is the living, breathing word of God. And yet, sometimes I feel that we forget to make the connections. We forget to connect up what God is saying to get the whole picture. To see what his guiding hand is saying for our church and for our lives individually. He doesn't make it difficult for us. It's not like some code that we've got to crack. He puts it there, up there for all of us to see. We just have to pay attention to fix our eyes on Jesus. See what he's doing. See what the Holy Spirit is doing. And then after that, we can't unsee it. It all becomes clear. See, nothing in God's plans and purposes are by accident. Nothing is a coincidence. For all the planning, the strategizing, the action, action planning that leadership do, it's not us. It's him. He's the one that's in charge. At our best, we clearly and decisively hear from God and we put into practice what he's saying to us. 
And at our worst, we kind of bumble along in our own strength. And yet he works all things together for his plans and his purposes. That's why it's so important to discern what the Holy Spirit is revealing to us. To listen carefully to what's been taught. The Holy Spirit has prompted leadership to bring things before you. And it's up to you to listen and ask God what he's revealing through it. And make the connections between the prophecy that you hear, the promises that are made, what the Holy Spirit is doing, and what you're hearing through the word. This is not a time to be passive. It's a time to listen and share with leadership what you're hearing from God. So let's just pray. Father God, I, I, I stand here as just with a small offering. I like the, the lunchbox that um, the young boy brought. And yet you will take it and your word will speak into hearts, Father God. And I pray that you will open eyes and open hearts and, and just give us a real desire to, to hear from you. To make those connections between what you're saying, what you're doing and what's been prophesied. In your almighty name, amen. So far in um, this series, we've heard about the church at Ephesus. There's lots to commend the church for. It's hard work, it's perseverance, it's patience, it's in suffering. The efforts to stand against false teachings. But there was a warning. I said that they'd lost their first love. They'd lost God's love and heart for his people. We also looked at the church at Smyrna, a church blighted with poverty and persecution for their belief in Christ. They're encouraged to be faithful even to death so that they might receive the crown of life. What an amazing letter that would be to get read to us now. The church at Pergamum, again a church known for its good works, facing persecution, standing firm, again even in the face of death. But there was also a challenge to clean up the church challenge to those that were being sexually immoral, sacrificing idols, to repent and turn back to God. Then we heard about the church at Thyatira. Thyatira? Thyatira. They were commended for their love, their services, their patience, their faith. But again, a stark warning to clear up the church, to stop allowing people to influence them wrongly. There's lessons that we need to learn from these letters and revelations. And I urge you to be wakeful, to be watchful and ask the Holy Spirit, what do you want us to learn through these? Jonathan, can you bring a chair up, please? Andy Woodward talked a couple of weeks ago about the church at Pergamum. He gave a demonstration of a chair. <laughs> And he talked about what would happen if he was sat in this chair and, and Jesus spoke to him about the things that he had against him. He said that his temptation would be to run away from that chair and get as far away as possible. But then he remembered that actually God is good. God is loving. God wants the, the best for us. 
And then he reflected that actually maybe I would run to the chair. And ultimately, the letters in Revelations, the letters to the churches, are both an exhortation for a job well done, but also a challenge to repent and awaken, to turn back to God, to turn away from the things of the world. And we need to listen to these and find out what God is saying to us about. What would we hear if we sat in this chair? What would we hear as a church if we sat in this chair? Might be a little bit kind of busy if we all sat there, but you're going to know where I'm coming from. So today we're going to look at the church at Sardis and we're going to see what God is saying to us through that. The words are going to appear on the screen behind me. Revelations 3, 1 to 6. It says, To the angel of the church in Sardis, these are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard, hold fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come to you like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the church. Whoever has ears, let them hear. If you've got ears, you need to hear what the Spirit is saying to us today. Sardis was a powerful, rich city. It was 50 miles east of Ephesus on the side of a mountain. It boasted a, a great view across the valley. And it was because of this that it made it easy for it to defend itself. The church in Sardis enjoyed a reputation as a lively, spirit-filled church, full of faith, known for its good works. It rested in the reputation of the past. But the harsh warning was that although the church is seen to be spiritually alive, Christ's judgment on the church of Sardis was that it was dead. The truth was that Sardis was a pleasure-loving, luxury-loving people. Ouch. Imagine sitting in that chair and hearing that. Imagine having Christ in front of us and saying, all nations, church, I know your works, that you have a name for being alive, but you are dead. To the outside world, it would appear that Sardis still looked like a church that was full of life. And all the activity, all the work, all the meetings were not a guarantee of spiritual character. Unlike the church at Smyrna and Pergamum, Sardis was not under persecution. They were not dead because of the battles that they had to face. In fact, the church at Sardis didn't present a significant threat to Satan. It wasn't worth attacking. Another harsh thing to think of a church. I would hate that. All nations, they're not worth attacking. 
I look at the church at Sardis, and although I definitely do not think that all nations are spiritually dead, I do wonder what Jesus would say to us. We're a church on a hill. We're a church that has a great past. We've been financially blessed. A church built on the shoulders of spiritual giants. A church that I understand back in the 80s experienced spiritual revival. That was long before I'd become a Christian. We know that churches have been planted out of all nations, right? Way back when it was Brick Hill. We have sent people out to lead in the nation and in the nations. And we've impacted our town in so many different ways. But we have to ask ourselves, is there a sense that we are living in what we were and not yet fully embracing who we're called to be? So what should a spiritually alive church look like? If we look at our own lives, if we look at the life of the church, what should we see? Well, the first thing we should see is lives that reflect what we claim to believe. A sleeping or a dead church claims one thing, but portrays something else. Having just come back from Malawi from the third time, I'm always struck by the passion, the hunger, and the complete desire of the people over there to understand and reflect on God's word. Because church has many people that attend it, and a lot of them don't have access to Bibles. They don't have online apps. They don't have teaching or sermons or the vast array of books and conferences that we have at our disposal. But they take every opportunity to study and reflect on and be guided by the word of God. And it makes me think how many of us who profess to believe in the Bible but don't take time to study it reflect on it and seek what God is saying to us through it? How many of us as parents push our children to spend hours and hours studying for exams that will have implications into the adulthood, but yet don't encourage them to read the word of God that will have implications into eternity? And then we lament when our children turn away from the church or are influenced by the things of the world? How many of us come into this building and recognize the need to share the gospel? How many of us understand that if you accept Jesus as your savior, then you will, if you don't accept Jesus as your savior, you'll spend eternity separated from him. We profess to love our friends, our families, our neighbors, our communities. But then how many of us don't speak to them about Jesus? How many of us would say that we've given our life to Jesus, that he's our Lord and Savior, that we're sold out completely for him, yet our lives are not reflecting it? We only obey the parts of the Bible that suit us. We're a work in progress. There's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. But if we don't challenge these things, if we don't honestly search our hearts and reflect on the lessons that we should be learning, then we've, we're in danger of being caught asleep. 
or worse, spiritually dead. A spiritually dead, alive church would have lives that bear fruit. Sardis may have looked like a vibrant church, had a lovely building, it was affluent, it might have had children's work, youth work, amazing worship team. But Jesus challenged them to wake up, to strengthen that which remained, which was about to die. He said he'd found their deeds unfinished in the sight of God. Where are we with this? Are our deeds finished in the sight of God? In the past, the armies in Sardis had twice defeated Sardis, even although it was had that exalted position. They lived off their reputation as being difficult to attack. They became complacent. They became apathetic. They were caught sleeping. So the Lord warns the church, awaken, be alert, be ready. Sardis was a busy, active church. It maybe even would have called itself stretched. But where was the fruit? Was the church growing? Were souls being saved for Jesus? Were people maturing in their faith? The truth is, how people choose to live their lives in the church at Sardis hindered the Holy Spirit from working through them. That meant there was little impact being made into their community and to the lost. Again, we have to ask the question, how are we doing with this? A spiritually alive church would have lives that celebrate success. A church that is alive has much to celebrate. The joy of the Lord is their strength. A church alive in Christ will see evidence of the Holy Spirit at work in it, at work in people's lives. There'll be an outpouring of joy. We'll be celebrating healings. We'll be celebrating lives changed, the lost saved, relationships restored. A church alive will be seen supporting each other, releasing each other, taking great pleasure in seeing each other grow. A church alive is slow to criticise, slow to condemn, slow to find fault, and quick to celebrate each other. Again, is this us? Is this you? So what were the consequences of remaining where they were? Jesus gave the church at Sardis hope. And that's great news for all of us. It wasn't an irretrievable situation there was still time to turn it around. So maybe the church wasn't dead. Maybe they were just caught sleeping, a bit docile, a bit apathetic. But there was hope and there was opportunity to change. But the warning was clear. If they didn't obey God, he would come like a thief in the night. He would come when they don't expect it. He, would announce when he, he wouldn't announce when he was coming and he would deal with them and he would judge them. The truth is, no one knows when Jesus is coming back. And no one knows how many days that they've got left. Each one is a gift from God. We don't sustain ourselves. Every breath that we, we take is given to us. I was talking to someone about questions people ask Christians. 
And one was along the lines of, could I live my life my own way, partying, getting drunk, sleeping around, and then when I've done all that and satisfied that need, turn back to Jesus? It'd be easy to believe that we have all the time in the world to turn back to Christ, to completely commit, to let go of the things of the world that are still holding us. Actually, we don't know how much time we have left. I don't know if any of you heard on the um, local news, but on Friday we heard about a young 17-year-old lad who was stabbed and is fighting for his life. I don't think for one second he imagined he'd be facing death at this age. Richard shared again on the same day about a, a young lad that Alice knows, a rare form of cancer. Again, a, a young boy fighting for his life. We don't know how many days we have left. We don't know what tomorrow brings, which means we have to be alert, be awake, and not be caught sleeping. The decisions that we make have repercussions. Over 20 years ago, after disappearing out of my life for um, more than a decade, my mum and her husband emigrated to Australia. They promised at the time that they'd come back every year and visit, but that kind of soon faded away. And their decision deprived my siblings and myself of a, a mother. They deprived my children of a grandmother. It caused division in my family. And now my mum is terminally ill. She lives on the other side of the world. Her husband is feeling lost and alone. My siblings are feeling helpless and impotent. That one decision had implications into decades, affecting children, grandchildren, wider family, causing guilt, hurt, pain, rejection. And even now, it's something that's still impacting and we're still struggling with. But the reality is, the decisions we make as Christians have implications into eternity. When we are not alert, not awake, we miss what the Holy Spirit is doing. We miss opportunities to point people to Jesus. We miss the chance to share our faith with the lost, the broken, and the vulnerable. And that's why it is so important to recognize the time that we're in, to push into what the Holy Spirit is doing and discern the perfect and good will of God. Wake up. God is saying, wake up, church. Don't be a church that is spiritually dead. Don't be caught sleeping. Allow the Holy Spirit to come and work through you. Be alert and be battle ready. We can't do this in our own strength. It's too hard. You know this and I know this. Before we went off on holiday to Switzerland, I must confess I felt quite jaded. And Rich has kind of been sharing as well today that it's been a bit of a tough time. This job can be hard, it can be lonely, and as one of the senior leaders, carrying weight and responsibility can make you feel weary. And at these times, I question if someone else would be better doing this role, if somebody would be more effective doing it. 
And I wonder whether there's an easier way to carry my work as a Christian. The devil uses our vulnerabilities to attack and undermine. And my advice to people when they feel like this is to seek God. An advice I didn't listen to myself. Although it's not easy when you're in the mountains of Switzerland to not be aware of the presence of God. But I just kind of closed down from it. But God, in his mercy and his grace, came and met with me, reminding me that there's nothing more satisfying than being spiritually alive in him. There's nothing more beautiful than an intimate relationship with the Holy Spirit. And it's from that place that we bear fruit. And we sang this morning, he satisfies my soul. I want to run into his arms. He satisfies our soul. Nothing else can satisfy like the Holy Spirit in us. Jesus tells the people at Sardis to remember what you've received and repent. When we became Christians, we received the Holy Spirit. The moment we openly received God's salvation, the Holy Spirit came into our lives. You possess the spirit of a living God, but you do allow him to possess you. Paul tells us, keep on being filled. Give him control of your life. Only he can transform a dead and sleeping church. Only he can revive and revitalize our worship, our witness, so that we can become a living force in our community. I talked at the start about seeing that picture in the dots, that number in the dots, about the need to be focused, to be alert and fix our eyes on what initially seemed hidden. God is talking to us. He's sharing his plans for his church through his word, through prophecy, through pictures, through dreams. And it's time to join the dots. It's time to make the connections. It's time to stand firm in what he's been saying, not be shaken by what we hear and what we see and what's been prophesied, but be confident in what he's promised. I'm going to share a couple of bits of prophecy that we've had over the last um, number of years. Um, all prophecy should be tested against what the Bible says. It should be weighed to see how it fits with where we are as a church. But I just want to share some bits of what the prophetic team have been praying into at the moment. There's one that we've got by um, Ralph Henderson. Um, Part of the way through, he talks about looking at a map and seeing a cliff disappear from the coast, be swept away and reformed and a new peninsula being seen further down the coast. So he says he then heard a voice saying, I'm sending a new wave of my spirit, one which will tear down the old. Don't be afraid. Don't weep. What's gone before, what's gone before? Because out of the old, I will build the new. Then Emma Bridal sent a word in um, and talked about a mighty river rushing, not a gentle stream, but a mighty river. Again, it talked about changing the landscape, about things looking different. It's not going to be like a rolling wave onto the seashore, but a torrent of water, and it will carve out a way, carve out and wash away that, that which is not of God or that which is not for now. 
and it will carve a new path and a new way. Richard, when he was in Bogota the first time round, received a word um, that talked about the Holy Spirit of God being for the here and the now. If you know and understand the times that you're living in and what you've received, your nation will explode in revival. He said, the Lord is showing me live coals that are lying there that might seem quenched. But when you blow, the flames start to grow. And the Lord declares it's not being put out. He sees an ember. He sees the call. He sees the glow. And he says, blow, blow, blow. And the flames will ignite again. All these prophecy are talking of change. They're talking of a new wave of the spirit. They're talking of coals being reignited and of an altered landscape. The changes that have happened in all nations have been so evident for all to see. We've had to rely more heavily on our faith in recent times for God's provision in our finances than we've ever had to do in the past. We've seen ministries that we've had known from the past and that been ceasing to, to occur in all nations or moving on. We've seen people that we know and love who've been a big part of all nations for a number of years and even played a part in shaping its history, moving on or about to move. Someone asked Richard Green the other day, what's happening at all nations? Is everything all right? But surely the answer to that question is, the Holy Spirit is happening at all nations. Surely if we're awake and alert and spiritually alive, none of this should be a big surprise. We should expect it. We should stand firm in it. Stand firm in what God is doing. Stand firm in his promises. And be confident and excited that he who has begun a good work in us will see it through to fruition. Look at what has been prophesied. What is God saying to us through what's been taught? What is the Holy Spirit doing at the moment? Look at what is emerging. Look at the change in the landscape. Think of the community centres that we've just been blessed with and the opportunity that God has given us to be a shining beacon in the community over in the south. Do you know what the perception from outside all nations could be? What's wrong? What's happening? Because change does that, doesn't it? It unsettles. Maybe even some people inside all nations are going, what's happening? But we need to stand up and take our place. God is speaking to his people. You need to reflect on what's happening, reflect on what's been taught, reflect on what's been prophesied. Start to ask God to help you to join the dots, to reveal what the new peninsula looks like. And then come and share that with leadership. The flames are igniting. A new peninsula is forming. That which is not for this season has been swept away. Not in a bad way, but in a way that makes a new path and a new way. Let's not be caught sleeping in this. Before we get a chance to respond, I just want to, um, as Richard has always already done, lift George Williamson up to you. I, I, like many of you, I love that man. He's such an amazing, inspirational giant of the faith. His body may have been fragile, but his faith remains strong even to, as he left this world. 
He was spiritually alive right up to the last. Jesus said to his church at Sardis, yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled the clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white for they are worthy. He goes on to say, I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my father and his angels. George was sat in this chair just now. I know that Jesus would be saying to him, here are your white robes, your names in the book, come and see father. Do you want to stand? We don't want to be a church that's caught sleeping. We don't want to be a church that is not walking into everything that Father God has for us. We don't want to be a church that when we sit in this chair, we are told, you haven't done what I've called you to do. You've not finished. You've been asleep. We want to be a church that's open and on fire for God. We want to be a church where when we face opposition, when we face persecution, when we face challenges in our life, our first response is to lift our eyes to Jesus. Our first response is to seek first his kingdom. And we can't do that alone. We can't do it on our own. We need the Holy Spirit to help us. So our response should be, come Holy Spirit, come. Because that's where it's all going to come out of. The changes, the obedience, the repentance, the confidence, the stepping into the, all that he has for us. It's all going to come out of seeking him first. And in fact, that's my only response to this. My only response is, if you want the Holy Spirit to come afresh in you now, step forward with boldness. Come forward and band if you can come up. I'm going to ask people to come and help pray for, pray for you. Actually, you don't need our prayers. You just need your prayer that says, Holy Spirit, come into my life now. Push out anything that's not of you. I'm just going to pray and then I'm going to leave these guys to, to pray for you, pray with you. Father God, I just repent of the times where I don't turn to you. I repent of even just kind of last week when I felt jaded, when I felt weary, when I felt not good enough. I turned from you instead of to you. And when I do that, Lord God, I'm so aware of my frailty. I'm so aware of my weakness. I'm so aware of just not being good enough. And then when I stand in you, when I run to you, when the Holy Spirit is flowing through me, I just get that fresh wave of your fire, Father. And we ask for that now. I ask for that for every person in the room to experience that beautiful intimacy of the Holy Spirit, to experience his cleansing power, to experience that lifting of our eyes to you, Lord God. I pray just come by your spirit now in your almighty name. Amen.